Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm very excited this week uh, to share a little bit of insight with everyone regarding uh, how the supports that our ESUs across the state are put in place as we try to help districts and schools with professional development and the other needs that they may have over the course of their year. And so uh, to talk with us today, we have Larry Ann Polk and Marcy Osmeyer with ESU7, who are going to share a little bit about the simple approach <laughs> to that support that we provide. And so I'm going to let uh, Larry Ann uh, and then Marcy introduced themselves um, to give you a little bit about their background in education. And so, uh, welcome to the podcast. Tell hey, us a little more. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm Larry Ann Polk. I'm the administrator at the ESU here in Columbus. I've been here since 2008. I was the special ed director before I became the administrator here. So, I've been able to grow with the service unit and uh, get to know a lot of people and the processes, and I'm very fortunate to have landed at ESU 7. It's a great place to be. I am Marcy Ostmeyer. I am the Director of Professional Development here at ESU 7. I've been at ESU 7 since 2013. I started as a PD coordinator and uh, became the director a few years ago. All right, and so today, uh, I don't know, we are nerding out before we even started recording today, talking about how passionate that you two are for this simple approach. Uh, and so can you kind of tell us, just generally speaking, give us a little bit of the history and the why behind Simple as a support um, for districts and, and kind of how that came about? Sure. This started in uh, 2014 or so when we started asking some new questions at, at the service unit here as to, you know, why is it that we're offering the services that we offer? And the process that we used to use was, although it wasn't a bad process, it's just really improved now with, with some additional data. Uh, we used to have a list of services and we'd roll those over from year to year. We'd add some here and there, depending on what we thought the schools might like but it really wasn't grounded in data so much. And before we get too far into this, I, I think we need to define what SIMPLE is. SIMPLE is actually an acronym, S-I-M-P-L with no E. It stands for Service, Implementation, Model, Process, and Log. And it really is what it, what it says it is. It's an implementation model and it's a process. And then we use the database to help log what it is that we're doing for our districts. So this is a process that we use that gives us an inventory of services that are really designed comprehensively to fit the gaps the school districts have in whatever areas they're looking at. So those gaps might be evident in test scores, those gaps might be in graduation rates, the gaps might be in curricular development or delivery, and the service unit then uses the data that we gather, identifying those gaps and creates an, an inventory that really directs us in how to support the schools more comprehensively. Well, and that's incredible too, because I think it's important to keep in mind that we want to be sensitive to kind of regionally, you know, uh, where our schools are and also the size of those respective districts. And so to think that, hey, we're going to provide these 15 services and everybody can just pick from those 15 would not necessarily allow you to, to have a certain, I would imagine the breadth that you might need to be responsive to the nuances of a class D school versus a class A school, a rural setting versus someplace like Omaha. And so with that being said, I guess, did that kind of factor in? Was that part of what you kind of found with the development of all this? So we do create a regional service plan because we are a regional service agency, but then we go through a process where we customize that service plan to each one of our districts. 
So after our service plan is approved, we then have meetings with each one of the districts and say, okay, so here are the list of services that ESU 7 provides. And let's now really talk about what does that mean when we customize it for your district? Uh, you know, as a professional development director, you know, we had been spending a lot of time customizing our services before, um, but we weren't necessarily always having those in-depth planning conversations with districts prior to us kind of deploying or as the year was beginning. Um, it was, you know, hey, we see you have this service, we'd like to access it, what can you do? And we'd have this conversation. And, and now it starts at, right after the, the service plan is, is approved. We have those planning conversations with districts and we say, you know, when you look at these services that we have, what are your priorities and needs for next year and how can ESU 7 fill those gaps? And I'm going to probably dumb this down on too simple a level to say, but this sounds like the difference between uh, a menu versus an actual collaboration, right? Like where instead of saying, mm, I'm going to take a little bit of that and a side of this, <laughs> that you're actually getting into this, this dialogue about, okay, here are our needs and, and, you know, the ESUs are offering these three or four things. We really could use this fifth thing as well. You guys are responsive to that uh, and make sure that that's offered and then uh, kind of build that in for, uh, the, the next year out, right? And so that's the other, I think, important piece to, to discuss here is that you guys are really approaching that, those conversations for not this upcoming school year, but the following today. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's, it's important for us to have decisions made early enough. So as you had just, your example was, if, if there's another item or another thing that the district's need for us to provide to them, we know that soon enough so we can get training to our staff or additional staff members if necessary. So we start our service planning process in July, the year before services are deployed. So for example, tomorrow we begin our service planning process with our executive committee of superintendents and they start discussing which data do we need to be looking at to best be informed in the services that we'll be offering. So we start that tomorrow and those discussions will inform services that will be offered in 2021, 2022. That's incredible just to think too about just how data driven all, all of that is. And I think that that level of intentionality is necessary to be effective, right? Has that kind of been your perspective? Yeah. So, you know, we, we charge our school districts, each service unit charges our school districts with excellent continuous improvement. Good school improvement using data to inform the decisions they need to make to continuously improve the schools and continues to improve instruction. We charge teachers with using data to inform their day-to-day -day instruction. And we need to do the same thing in a service unit to really use the data to inform our curriculum or our service plans. So we use both quantitative data and qualitative data in making those decisions. And those data range from test scores, perhaps from the school districts, various types of outcomes. We look at school improvement outcomes. We look at demographics of the students. Naturally, we look at some of the services that we offer and the outcomes we get from that. But we, we pull all of those data together and we bring superintendents together, principals together, land managers and teachers. And even our staff has a piece of the development. And each of those groups separately does a perceptual data dig. It's a intentional process that we use to identify what things are going really well in their district and what things do they feel are opportunities for improvement. What are those things in their gut that really feel like they're not quite to the standard that they'd like them to be in their district. 
we do that in those separate groups first, and then we pull all those groups together. So we have superintendents and principals come together in December and they look at their quantitative data. They're pulling apart their test scores. They're looking at all those, those quantitative data that I mentioned before intentionally through the lens of, all right, these are some gaps that are certainly present in our school district and what services could the service unit offer to us that would fill that gap. So we use that process and we have a, we have kind of a weighted voting system that we use with them at that point. And we identify through that process, which services become priority for our region. It's most efficient for us to offer services to a group of schools at a time, rather than, you know, 60 different services to 16 different schools. So we, we develop a regional plan and then from there, Marcy and her team takes that plan and works on it more customized. Well, and I think that just segues nicely into, and that was going to be my question. So how is it that you support individual districts regionally <laughs> with this professional development once these uh, objectives have been prioritized and, and these initiatives set into action? The service plan that we have is a regional service plan because we're a regional service agency. Mm -hmm. And then we take each of those services and if it's a need of our district, we customize it to what fits their need. So if we have a, a district that is looking for us to do the training for them, for all of their teachers, we do that. If we have a district that is looking for us to help provide support for maybe someone they have in their district who is on the lead for that, we can do that as well. So the services that we offer are regional, but the way we customize them is, is individualized for every, for every school district. Okay, so there might be instances where you work with entire school staff, but also ones potentially too where you're working with the instructional coaches or the different like team leaders, for example, that they can go back and then be empowered to be that leader within their respective buildings. Is that kind of how that, that plays out? Absolutely, depending upon the, the support that the district already has in place. But you know, we also have regional needs. The majority of our schools in ESU 7 use Marzano, others use Danielson. And so when we want to do a, we do a kickoff training and we pull them all together for that because rather than us going out to 19 different school districts and doing an overview, we have 100 teachers come here and, and we support them here. So that's not typical. Typically we um, customize for each district. However, there are opportunities that we have that the need is so similar that we can do the, the training all together. Well, I think that just makes sense from an efficiency standpoint too, which is another strength of the ESUs and something that I would imagine that this data leads to, right? In terms of, because we're all about trying to save and serve, <laughs> I think at the same time. Uh, and so can you kind of talk a little bit maybe about what this initiative has led to with regards to uh, the data that has been collected statewide and how it's really started to help. I, it's tough because the ESUs are a network and we're serving in, in our own regions. But there is at times the benefit of our, obviously, of collaboration and uh, trying to learn and grow and get better from the dialogue with, with other ESUs across the state. And so how has that kind of played out uh, as a result of Simple? Well, I'm going to kind of talk from the backside of that and try to get to the end of your question. But there, there really are three purposes of the Simple process. One is to have a, a process that all of our service units can use statewide that's fairly consistent so we can say these are these are the tenets of service planning that every ESU uses across the state. So service planning is one part. Another part is having a comprehensive inventory of services statewide. So as we said in 2014, 
ESU 7 started this, we were the, the service unit that had this comprehensive list of services for our single ESU. Now we can say that every ESU has a similar type of list that, can, that we can share with our stakeholders, we can share with senators, we can share with taxpayers, so they can see what it is that we are offering from our service unit. The third purpose of SIMPLE is to provide an opportunity to see the, the cost savings that by using the services through the service unit, rather than going to a private consultant or a private market company, uh, by using services through the service unit, we can put a dollar amount to that and we can show the state, we can show senders, we can show taxpayers, we can show our school districts and our boards, what dollar amount is being saved by accessing these services from the ESU. Not only that, we're also working on ways that we can show at what depth the services that we're offering are being implemented at the district. So you mentioned the word efficiency a bit ago, saying that efficiency is one of those goals of the ESUs. Absolutely. It's in our statute to be efficient. So if we can't say to our schools, because you're using this service, we're able to help support filling this gap, and that's evident through these data, then we, that's not a very efficient use of our resource. So we can also then show at what level and at what depth the services are being implemented at the school. So when you asked, you know, how is this, the outcome statewide, what is it that we're looking at or what results do we see? We have a tool, we have a statewide database that's accessible to the public that can show some of the items that I just talked about. It can show which ESU is offering which services, how many of those services are being accessed, and it also can show preliminarily, not all of our services in uh, return on investment is in there yet, but preliminarily professional development, technology, and cooperative services, which we can explain here in a minute, those items are in there in cost savings and we can show right away today, I can pull up uh, the tool and show the dollars that have been saved to our state already. Okay, so in the midst that we got to drop the, the link in here. So where can people find this? They can find it at uh, simple, S-I-M-P-L dot E-S-U-C-C dot org. Simple dot E-S-U-C-C dot org. Okay. And as you were sharing that, you did say you're going to back to the cooperative purchasing was something that you were wanting to expound upon. Yeah, thank you. So cooperative purchasing is a service that every ESU offers. So it's a statewide service. What that is, it's a marketplace where schools can go order supplies for their schools, uh, materials for their schools at a much discounted price. So how we can do that is we've got a director of the cooperative purchasing that reaches out through a bidding process with a variety of vendors across the country and they bid on having their products allowed into our marketplace catalog. So our marketplace really does offer a lot of supplies for school districts at a much discounted rate. Even those products that are not in our marketplace are influenced by the marketplace. So if you happen to be a vendor that is not included in our co-op, in order to be competitive with the schools who are ordering through our co-op, those prices are being reduced also. So we have, that's a, it's a really incredible service that the state has offered to our schools. And because it's a bid process, uh, there's uh, good documentation about what the schools would have spent had they not gone through the, the marketplace. So that's how we can tell.
That's what I'm excited for. At the same time as we're recording this, I'm also editing a podcast for next week that is on that very process. I talked with Craig Peterson and I talked with Hunter Flubman at UNL actually with regards to hand sanitizer and that schools are getting 75,000 gallons of hand sanitizer to the savings of around uh, two and a quarter million dollars. And that's that portion of this bigger process uh, in action. And I think that that's just really incredible to think of all the, the fronts on which the um, you know, ESUCC and that cooperative purchasing is actively engaged in trying to, to produce those savings. Uh, yes, for professional development and also in things like hand sanitizer. <laughs> hand sanitizer, that's one product. That's saying saving two and a quarter million dollars across the state. That's one product. So right. that sort of thing is happening exponentially through a variety of different products through the marketplace. Well, and not to digress on that too much, but you start to think about all the pressing needs of the present moment with regards to financials, right? Like any, any and every little bit helps um, to try to make our schools as safe as they can possibly be as we reenter into you know, the classroom in the fall. And, uh, you know, I think that the more resources we have, the better we can protect everybody there. Uh, and so it's just, uh, it's always critical, but it's just, it, that, Stay tuned for that story, too, because that's really pretty impressive to see how that plays out. Um, so anyway, I'll take my personal digression back, <laughs> get us back on track here. Marcia, I'll kind of turn to you for a moment and just ask, from that professional development role, kind of getting back into that avenue of our conversation, on the ground, like, what does that look like as far as, uh, I, you even said we're already having this conversation with superintendents for the following year. But right now, you guys are getting ready to, to roll out some pretty significant services, I would imagine, trying to meet the needs of the present moment. Uh, where's your work at currently? Exactly. So we, it's, it's mid-July when we are recording this. And a month from now, July you know, 14th, we're going to be in school districts. And uh, the dates that we have on our calendar, we put on our calendar in February and March. So when we take that uh, service inventory that we talked about a little bit before and said these are the services that ESU 7 are going to offer for the 2021 school year and we customize them for each district, we actually said, so this is a, a priority for you and we have your calendar in front of us and it looks like you have some teacher in-service time on August 13th and September 13th and October 13th or whatever those dates might be and we will take the, the priorities of the school, take our services, customize those, and put, and put dates on the calendar. Now, unfortunately, between our planning conversations in February and today, there were some, some pretty big events that happened that you know, maybe changed some of the priorities and the plans of our schools. So we go through a process where we go back and we check with them and we say, so here's what you had said. Is this still what you need us to do? Or is there something more that still fits within our service plan that that would help you as you are launching into some some new areas and the answer to some of that has been yes you know it's like how can how can you support us so when we customize our service plan and put those dates on our calendars our school districts know that it's really important to get on our calendars early because we have 19 different school districts that are looking to get on our calendar and it gives us an opportunity to really kind of go out and and do what we do best is to to meet the needs of our districts to meet the needs of our teachers, which ultimately impacts students. Terrific to hear because I, I wondered that, you know, if you're planning so far in advance, how then can you be responsive to the moment when a pandemic hits? <laughs> and I will say that just, you know, new to this role, it's been so impressive to see the response from across the state that our ESUs have provided 
schools and, and teachers just with webinars that have just been made openly available. And so with all of that and realizing that it is the middle of July, what are some of those specific modifications that you're uh, thinking about undertaking with some of this? Uh, what are you seeing as some of those present needs that are out there that you guys are going to uh, modify what you're doing to incorporate? So uh, there are some things that we had been doing that gained importance. So for example, we have a, a couple of our staff developers that really specialize in uh, being able to uh, prioritize standards to say, okay, when you think about all that you need to teach, what are the most important things that your fourth grader needs to have? And we had some districts that had done some standards prioritization, but last spring we were starting to get some of those conversations of, wow, our students are missing this much um, time with our teachers. How do we prioritize what we address this spring? And then when we come back in the fall, how do we think about what are some needs that our students have, not only with their uh, academics that they, need, that they missed, but also what might be some relationship, what might be some social needs, what might be some emotional needs that our, that our students have too. So we've had requests for all of that. We've had requests for taking some time for to look at some academic things. And we've also had some requests to take a look at what might be some needs that our students and teachers both have as they come back into the classroom. And at a, a more basic level, we are looking at how to deliver our services differently. So, you know, we had, you know, traditionally we'd have groups of teachers from a variety of schools come to a training here, or we'd go off site to a training or we'd have three or four of our staff go to a school district to deliver a training. All those are options that are still available. Under the restrictions we have, we may be, those might look a little bit different. Zoom is going to continue to be an option for us, having a, a variety of different possibilities on how to have the services delivered here on our ESU campus will be a little different. So it has required us to be a lot better at delivering services via Zoom. It's very different to do a training or a meeting through a Zoom setting than it is to do it face-to-face, -face, even if you're just delivering information. You have to have different methods on instruction on video conference, just like you would in different classrooms. So we've been working pretty hard at that, and our, our staff developers are stellar at doing Zoom trainings. So I have, I have no doubt that they'll be able to meet the needs of our schools that way. And by moving into those spaces, it gives you a practical experience with understanding the nuances of being effective in that medium that you can then pass on as tips, tricks, ideas, and best practices for the educator who might have to then function with their students in that space. And uh, I think that uh, there's a, a healthy growth that's sort of <laughs> taking place in everybody's world uh, at this point in time. And I was in a conversation even yesterday about the importance of really starting now to, to think through some of those things because as so many educators experienced in this, this spring, a weekend is not enough to prepare you for four months of remote learning or three months, whatever it ended up being for some people. And uh, if, if we can be a little bit more intentional about growing in some of those, those ways and spaces as you're talking about, I think from professional development all the way through to the classroom teacher interacting with their students, then I don't think that I would ever say that this is going to be ideal, but I think that we can be effective. And for the moment, I, I think as long as that's there, and I love that we focused on that relationship piece too, Marcy, I think that that's something that I have seen. 
I reference my own kiddos on the podcast all the time, but that's where my heart is, right? My six-year-old and my nine-year-old just really need some socialization uh, and the opportunity to learn with other people, even if it's just to look six feet across the room and go, oh, we're in this together kind of thing and get ideas from the conversations. And uh, it is going to look different, but uh, I'm glad that we're thinking about that and meeting our educators in that, in that space. And I think our, our, our leaders are in a situation where they're running up against some decision fatigue. <laughs> you know, they're working so hard on the present concerns that they have that looking ahead is a little bit complicated and in some cases impossible to look forward. So simple will allow us to do that in a way that we can continue to keep a district moving forward. So we follow up after we have given, after we've delivered our services, we do a variety of follow-up options. I meet with the superintendents intentionally a couple of times a year to just address our service plan, ask them a variety of different questions, but there are two questions that we get the most information from in that meeting. And we ask them, what is it that we're doing well that you don't want to see us change? And then the other question is, what is it that we can improve? And nothing is off the table. So at that point, they're telling me, you know, we don't like the rooms, we have an issue with a staff member, this is something that we need to get corrected, how can we get, how can we get more time, Marcy's not out here enough, we need her here more. You know, the, nothing is off the table on what they can tell me on the follow-up meeting. I share the conversations from those follow-up discussions with my leaders here at the service unit, and each one of them are tasked with following up with that specific item to each one of those superintendents before I talk to that superintendent again. So it's, it's critical for us to keep our word in this process. So if we develop a service list that has 66 items on it, and in October, a school district wants us to add another one, we, we don't. We stick to our word. We use the data to inform our list of inventory and we keep that inventory consistent for that year. If we have some others that want to come up during that year, we will adjust, we'll look and, at, and research it, but we will likely not add the service. That's where the statewide inventory is really great. So if a school district from ESU 7 says, hey, we need this additional service and it's not something that I've resourced, I don't have staff trained in it, I don't have personnel who are able to deliver it, I can look on that inventory statewide and I can determine Gosh, you know what, ESU2 in Fremont, they've got somebody who can do that. Let's get in touch with them and see if they can help support you in that, and then we'll follow up. So our breaking down our boundaries and the, and the giant walls that we've had between ESUs is becoming an easier thing to do. So we can become more efficient because we can use our statewide network uh, more efficiently than we've been able to use in the past. So I think those are some, some elements to simple in our planning as we move ahead that will help us this next year when we start to return to what is a new normal and we start to realize, hey, you know, we can start doing some proactive planning and thinking rather than immediate and reactive planning and thinking. And because we started this last year, we should be able to be just fine and help the districts move forward with the plans they had before the pandemic came. So many things about that response that I just really appreciate in that one, it's that proactiveness and, and let's just run parallels across all levels here, right? Whether it's the classroom teacher thinking about what they're going to do in the fall or it's the professional development at in district or from the ESU. 
being proactive to the conversations you're having with superintendents. And you can go on the ESUCC Twitter feed and see, uh, I've been retweeting a number of different sessions of all these different superintendents that are on a regular basis having this dialogue to try to navigate the current circumstances. And in all of those collaborative endeavors, you do have feedback that comes from that, right? And so I think it's really important to understand that things are going to continue to change. <laughs> and so as much as we can have plans and approach and, and something that is flexible, all of these are going to have to be lived out and there'll be nuance that comes from that. And so staying open to that feedback and then finding ways to not only hear, but respond uh, is it seems simple, but it's not <laughs> necessarily to be reactive to that. And, uh, and so the more that we can do that, I think the more effective we will be able to pivot where necessary, stay agile with our plans and our approach to do the best we can to be as, again, as effective and efficient as we can uh, here up this upcoming school year. And I'm just so energized by hearing you both advocate for this so much and to see that that, you know, that is happening. It is happening right now across the state. And that's where our heart's at. It's really powerful. It's crazy how fast half an hour goes. I say this all the time, but <laughs> time flies when you're talking shop sometimes. So is there any topic or, or message maybe that each of you would like to close with as just a, a parting idea or sentiment you'd like to share? So uh, a simple leads itself really nicely to something we like to, to say here at ESU 7. So at ESU 7, we like to walk behind our districts so that we can keep them moving ahead. We like to walk beside them to keep them moving in the right direction. And we walk in front of them just far enough to not only see where they're going, but to anticipate their needs. <laughs> that's, that's the quote. Mic and, drop right yeah, there. We, we <laughs> like our yeah, we do like our quotes. So it's the Larry Ann Marshall quote. It, it is. <laughs> These okay. are times what we're doing is we are anticipating the needs of our schools is we listen to their, their needs that they have and we listen to their priorities, but we also um, have a lot of opportunity to be professionally developed ourselves. And we have the opportunity to experience a lot. So when we have a school district that is doing something and we can say, hmm, you know, this is where they're at, but they could go here. And if we were to help draw this little um, connect the dots between these two things, then we can help them get to even a different place than maybe they had imagined without saying this is where you need to go, but this is an opportunity based on what you've been doing. And I would say before simple, we walked in front of our schools and we just, that's where we were. We weren't walking in front of them to see where they were going. We weren't walking in front of them to anticipate they were what they needed. We were walking in front of them and saying, this is where you should go, follow us because we know better than you do. And that's not the right that is not the right direction we should be going. And that's not the message we should be giving our schools. So what Simple has allowed us to do is to really walk behind them so we can see exactly what the services we're offering to them is doing for them. We walk beside them so we make sure that they're not chasing that shiny object off in another direction that's not in their plan. And then we do walk ahead of them so that we can try to anticipate what they need. So I, I do think that Simple has really helped us with that. 
Well, gosh, I've learned a ton over the course of this past half hour, and I'm really grateful for the conversation and uh, to work alongside two people that are out just doing this work with with a smile on their face <laughs> and are clearly passionate about taking care of, of districts and schools and, and helping us all better serve the needs of the students that we're all invested in caring for. And so thank you so much, both of you, for your time today, for the um, continual efforts that you've put in, uh, and for being... I think responsible with regards to, hey, let's be data-driven in the things that we're doing so that we can really be very intentional about guiding the things that we're incorporating into the services. So uh, yeah, just really, really thankful for this dialogue and hopefully we we'll get a chance to catch up again soon. Great, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.